0: Welcome to Vineyard Casey West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. We are in the midst of, of a series called Summer in the Psalms. And so <clears throat> what we're doing is we're walking through di- a different psalm each week, uh, really looking for like words to process during this time, um, words that help us feel, that help us think, uh, because this is a time that uh, pushes us kind of beyond our, our normal uh, limits, and, and so uh, it's also a time that I think that God is, uh, is a grace, and so he's calling us deeper into him, deeper into each other, and so, so the Psalms is a wonderful place because it's, it's real people like us that are processing real life, and so, so that's what we're doing. We're going through there. So, so today what we're actually going to do is we're actually going to um, look at Psalm 131. And so let's read that together. Um, sorry, when I say together, I mean like I'm going to read it. Uh, and so, so verse, verse 1 of Psalm 131. It's just three verses, so it's, it's very short. It says, A song of a sense of David. My heart is not proud... Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So these are powerful words from, from David in this psalm. And these, these words come out of a, out of a life that's surrendered to God. Because we could read these words and <clears throat> some people have actually pushed back on this psalm and said, hey, uh, because it's a psalm that's been made into something that's sung in churches. And some people have pushed back and said, hey, this shouldn't be sung in a church because we can't say that. You know, but David could say that. And, and right away, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay? Uh, Jesus could, could say that if we want to say Jesus could do this kind of thing that no one else can. But David was a human like all of us and with flaws and everything else but he's speaking from a place of surrender and it's it's a it's a powerful place that empowers you if you have a surrendered life and so <clears throat> i got thinking about this and last summer my uh, my family and i took a trip to hawaii and it was uh, michelle my wife it was our, our 20th anniversary and so we we had been saving for a few years and 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 so we took it we we took the trip and Uh, One of the days, we went to Waimea Bay, and at Waimea Bay, during the summer, it's flat, and so we we went, and there's this big rock in Waimea Bay, and uh, we got there, and there was people jumping off of the rock into the ocean, right? I mean, who who wouldn't want to do that? And so uh, my boys, you know, run up there, and I'm thinking to myself, do I do this kind of thing anymore? You know, it, it, like, it, is this the kind of thing I do? And the boys just all just jumped off, and we got video of it, and they sent it back to their friends and everything. And <clears throat> they went off and snorkeled a bit, and then I decided that, yes, I do do this kind of stuff, but I'm going to wait for my family to go in case I look silly. And so I go up to the top, and I climb up, and it's, it's about a 25 to 30-foot jump into the ocean, and it's plenty deep, and, but it's still far enough up there. And there was this one guy that was just kind of a hot dog. He just he brought this big group of people, as entourage, and he was doing flips off of there. And he's telling people in his party, you got to do it or you're nothing. And, and I'm just like, man, who is this guy? So I thought he was down the beach. But as I went up, and I wasn't fully surrendered to that what I'm going to do with this rock is jump off into the ocean, right? I was like, what a wonderful view. What a wonderful thing. And so I'm kind of near the edge. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. And, and then the hot dog guy comes up behind me. And I'm just like, oh, hey, do you want to go? And he goes, no, bro, go ahead. But he kind of said it like, I know you're scared and you don't want to do this. And so at that point, I'm like, no, it's on. And so I jumped off in all of my glory. And it was, it was you know, flailing all over the place. And, but I did it, right? But, but I went up there not fully surrendered to really what the purpose was, what it was for. And, and, you know, we all have areas of our lives that are like that. Um, you know, it could be relationships. It could be, uh, you know, it could be health. It could be uh, finances. It could be, um, uh, it could be uh, you know, like a, a, a something God's told you to do. Like, you know, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm not totally sure about that. Um, but when it comes to Jesus, we, all, we always hear the phrase, and I've said it, and, and plenty of pastors say it, and it's correct, but it's this thing like, receive Jesus. But it it's kind of makes it this thing like, you know, you get a package at your door or mail at your door, and like, we still get mail for the people that move, like we bought their home two years ago. And, and, and I write on there, most recently, I said, they moved two years ago, you know, not here anymore, Right. But I received that mail in my mailbox. And um, it kind of comes across that way. Like, oh, you can sign for it if you want to. Like, I guess, you know, make space for Jesus. Bring him into your life. Which is really contrary to what Jesus meant when he called people to him. What he really meant was is that, you know, hey, come and wave the white flag. Come and, and surrender everything to me. I want your whole life. Now, in return, you get all of me. But so it's helpful to understand Jesus in that way is that, is, that, is that there's a surrendered life that he's looking for. So in Psalm 131, we get a glimpse of a surrendered life. We get a glimpse of, of, of David's life that's surrendered and he's able to speak this way. So a little bit of background though. Psalm 131 is a psalm of ascent. Uh, there's, in some versions of the Bible, you, it may say the psalm of degrees. And so the whole idea is, is that the people of Israel, as they would come to one of the three annual feasts, as they are going up to Jerusalem, and anywhere where you're coming from in, the, you know, in Israel, in that area, you're always going up to Jerusalem, uh, because uh, it's, it's one of the highest points, and it's, the, it's in the mountains of Jerusalem, and you have the Mount of Olives and other mountains around, but it doesn't matter. If you are on the Mount of Olives, you have to go down and then go up to Jerusalem, so as the, the faithful pilgrims are going up to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs of ascent. And they're really songs of like preparing their hearts for worship because that's what these feasts were all about. You know, the, the, the feast of Passover, the feast of Pentecost, and the, the feast of tabernacles. And so no matter, um, no matter where they were doing, they, they would sing some of these psalms. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are, are song, psalms of ascent. So 131 is in the midst of that. It's been said about Psalm 131 that it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but it's one of the longest to learn. And because the intent of the psalm is that we would be able to apply this and make these words ours in our lives, that I would be able to say these things in my life. But it's indirect. Don't don't head off in another direction. The indirect is is that you, you get there by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, right? you don't get there by saying, all right, I'm going to become humble, right? You know, uh, I remember one time uh, I, I, a friend got up and, and, and did a testimony, and, and they, they were somewhat of a um, uh, just conceited person, and, and one time there was testimonies just talking about what God had done, and they got up and said, you know, um, I used to be really prideful, but now I am one of the most humble people I know, you know, and it's like, Okay. Oy vey, you know, what, what, are, what are we doing here? And so um, the psalm is David writing, but it's also about David. And so the, the, uh, the, the happening that David writes this for is this. David uh, was, was under pressure. And so he's talking to God about what he's under pressure about. And so he's sorting out his heart before God. He's, he sees things going on, and he, he, he decides that he's going to talk to God about this. So David's story, you know, he was a shepherd out in the fields, and, and he had many brothers, and, 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 and God spoke to the prophet Samuel, you know, I want you to anoint a new king, and I want you to go to Jesse and, and, and anoint one of his sons. And, and son after son comes forward, and God says, no, not him. I, I, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And then so finally, he's like, do you have any more sons? And Oh, I have one more, the youngest. He's out in the field. Well, we'll wait for him. And so he comes, and, and God said, this is the one. And so Samuel anoints him as king as a teenager, right? Uh, but, but then what, is, what does David do? Well, he goes back out to the field until he gets the opportunity of functioning in his Kingness, his calling, right, and and then and then uh, he gets called to uh, uh, he he slays Goliath and um, and then he uh, defends Israel against other enemies. Uh, he plays the harp uh, to soothe Saul, who was who was attacked by spirits and was just uh, anxious, and, and so he did those things. He he was uh, he was chased by Saul. Uh, Saul tried to kill him. So his best friend's dad. I don't know about you, if you ever went over to friends' houses, you know, if it was like that. But his best friend's dad tried to kill him. And and then ultimately, he's on the run. And this is the happening, the writing that we have. He's on the run, and people started saying, you know, David, you're trying to be king out of a prideful heart. Like, you're going after things that, that, that you just shouldn't go after. You know, you're, 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 you're trying to be king and trying to take it away from Saul and your heart's prideful. And so in this moment, what David does is, is that he realizes, no, it was God that anointed me king. I was, just, I was just caring for the sheep and God came into my life and spoke to me. And so what David does is, is he decides in this moment that instead of, uh, instead of complaining, which, you know, if you've been there, he makes a confident declaration about what's really real. And he can do that because his life's surrendered. He's not playing games. Like he knows what he knows about what God's doing in his life. And so in verse one, we're going to work our way through this. We see that surrender produces humility in calling, right? I mean, we, we, we've, I mean, you can imagine, maybe it wasn't always that way. I don't know. Like maybe David at that point, I mean, he doesn't say that, but I mean, all of his brothers are looking around. And he just gets anointed king and he's the youngest. And And all of a sudden, his brother's looking at him. He's kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm your worst nightmare. You know, I mean, but it's, but no, we don't ever see that written. So he probably didn't. He, He probably just kept a pure heart. But at this point, what he says is he says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. So when he says my heart is not proud, so the heart is the inner man. It's, it's, it's the seed of our emotions. It's our thinking. Uh, he's saying that is not proud. So it, proud would be exalted or arrogant or like lifted up. Our eyes, our eyes follow our desires, okay? And so what we desire that begins in our hearts, our, our eyes then follow. And he's saying that like my eyes, like I haven't put myself above everybody that I'm going to look down upon everybody. My nose, even though I'm talking about my eyes, is not lifted up like I'm better than everybody. He's saying very clearly, this is not the case. And then he says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, this word concern myself, it it, it speaks of like exercise or like walking around. And so if you've ever walked around in a neighborhood that that wasn't yours, like you're not a regular there, you'll get looks. You'll get looks in those neighborhoods because it's, it's not your normal neighborhood. We, we just did that when we were on vacation recently. We were walking around with our family, and, and we'd look at different houses and things, and, oh, look at that, look at this, and, and, and people just kind of look at you. And, and, and we're exercising. We're, we're walking around a neighborhood that's not ours. But when we're here, we walk around, and people see us, and they recognize us. We're, we're, we're a part of this community here. And so what's David saying is like, hey, I don't walk around in the neighborhood because it's not mine. Like, I don't live there. Like, I don't live in that place where I'm, I'm going after great or, or huge things, great matters or things too wonderful for me. The whole idea with the great matters or things too wonderful is like this distinguishing apart from everybody else, like something that's way beyond me. Like, I'm going to distinguish myself with this, right? That's, you'll read tons of books about that these days. Like, you have to, in your career or your life, or you, you've got to set yourself apart and in, in very true, but what David is saying is, is like, I'm not setting myself apart just to set myself apart. Because again, David's identity is solely in this surrendered life to God. And so he says, look, I'm not going out after anything other than what God has brought me. Sure, that's okay for you. You can do that, but I'm not going to compete and try to get there. Uh, you see, he's, he's not out to distinguish himself other than the purpose Because if you have a surrendered life, you will be distinguishable from everyone else. Because you'll be living the life that God called you to live. But it's when we try to distinguish ourselves in other ways that other people have, that's where we get into trouble and we chase after things that we're not meant to have. You know, kind of the mindset of the world is is like, and and sometimes in the church too, is just like, you got to get more, you got to get more, you got to get more, you got to get more. You got to go higher, you got to go higher, you got to go higher. Uh, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of serving it numerous areas in different churches. And the church that uh, Michelle and I both were on staff at in our early 20s and mid-20s um, into our early 30s uh, was a real large church with tons of different pastors. And these guys have been pastors for 30, 40 years. And, and we got to sit with them and learn from them. And, and, and there's one of them that um, he, excellent Bible teacher, um, excellent leader, love Jesus. Just you get around him, and you just feel like you're with Jesus, right? Just the substance of this man was just was was amazing. A few times at different retreats that we did, I roomed with him, and you know I'd be waking up groggy, like, oh, I don't want to get up yet, and he's over here like praying and fasting and praying in tongues for you know two hours before I like, okay, do I have to get up? You know, and 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 I'm just looking, but it but it hit me and struck me, but. He, he wasn't like, hey, I need to be a senior pastor. Uh, I need to uh, be this or be that. His gifting was all about, like, he, my wife was an assistant for him at a time. And she's like, I can't handle this. And they'll joke about it when she sees him. Like, I, you know, how many assistants do you have now? Oh, I have four. You know, because he has all these ministries and these ways of caring for people. But the way God's used him is empowering and equipping and, and, and serving and loving. And it wasn't that, hey, I have to go to this higher point. He didn't obtain after it because that's not what God had called him to do. So Saul, the king before David, thrust himself not just from the kingship to actually priesthood. He's like, hey, I'm not only going to be king, but I'm, I'm going to be priest too, right? We see that some today, don't we, too? We see people that, you know, sometimes in churches, it's like they're pastor, priest, and king, right? It's just like, there's, you know, I I decide everything. Uh, Uzziah, who came after David, a king after David, he placed himself in the priesthood as well. You don't see that with David. You see David stay in his lane. He knew his lane. He was known and loved by God. And really, he was called to be God's shepherd. He was called to, just like he cared for the sheep, God was pleased. He saw his heart that was attentive to the sheep. And he said, now do that with my people and care for them as king, as a ruler. So, you know, some people will encourage you and some people will discourage you, like, in your surrendered life. So as you surrender your life to Jesus and and, and follow after him, you will find more and more, like, your identity as a loved person. And then your calling, which is like, hey, I have this for you. And not everyone's going to encourage you in that. David got anointed king, went back out in the field, cared for things. And then, though, his father says, hey, go and bring lunch to your brothers. They're at war, right? And as, as, he, goes, as he goes and does that, uh, this, is, this, is what, this is what happens. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking uh, with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? Uh, the, the scene. The scene is, is they're, they're, they're with the Philistines, and it's Goliath. And Goliath every day would come out and say, you know, basically, you little ants, I'm going to smash you and, and send out somebody that's a real man. And he would, he would defy God and speak against God, and, and no one would step up, including Saul. And so David comes on this scene, right? And his brother, who obviously is not stepping up um, as well, uh, he says this to him and, and, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? So he's degrading them. Uh, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, you came down only to watch the battle. And so David says this, oh yeah? Only came down to watch the battle? Watch this, hold my spear. And he runs out, and you know the rest of the story. He, he, has, he, he has five stones in and, and a slingshot, and, and, and just all he needs is one. And he takes him down. But it wasn't that David was like this uh, manlier man. Or had more gumption and courage than anyone else. David slayed Goliath because he had a surrendered life to God that was then, he was functioning in his kingship. That's why he was able to slay Goliath. If he hadn't been called to be king and he had stepped out there, I don't know that he, what happened would, is what would have happened. It was because he was functioning in his authority, and his identity and calling his king. So David's distinction comes from his identity and calling received from God. And, uh, you know, some people see themselves only as like doing great things. You know, they despise the times of small things. And so they just look and say, so I, I, I see just great things and I'm just going to be used by God or, or I'm going to accomplish great things. And, and what's hard is, is that many times the people that have that heart are people that are all about the outward great, but not the inward great. And so what you see is, is that you can succeed at doing many great things on the outside. You can, you can succeed at that. But if you don't develop the inward person, after a while, the true you comes out and shows itself. It always does. Like what's really been being developed inside comes out. And listen, everything in life is great. You know, I mean, the things we desire, the things we long for, like to have someone to be loved by and to love... How amazing is that? Like I remember, I remember when I got married and 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 I'm just like, wow, really, God? You're you're I mean, I prayed all the time, you know, and I'm like, God bless me with a wife, and God bless me, you know, and and, and all of a sudden I, I've got this woman that that trusts me and loves me and, 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 and you know has given herself to me, and I'm like, oh no, what do I do now? You know, and and then I remember, you know, our oldest son, Wyatt, when he was born, uh, you know, the nurses kind of helped us in and, and the first couple of days. We didn't know what we were doing. And in the first night, I, I literally was trying to swaddle him, and he was screaming at me. I'm like, what is your problem? You know, and and, you know, and I'm trying to do the thing, and, and I couldn't swaddle him and get him calmed. And so I did the manly thing, and I went and got in the fetal position on the bed and said, I can't do this dad stuff. You know, like, you know. And, and then a couple of days later, they let us take him home. And I'm like, look, I know that, yeah, he, are you sure? letting us take him home. That's great things, isn't it? And in all the things in life that you desire are great things, but the true you comes out if you're not developing the true you. You can do all kinds of outward things for a while. So whether David was in the field with sheep or fighting enemies or on the throne or whatever, David's identity was from God because he surrendered his life to him. He wasn't playing games. I'm going to surrender my whole life to you. Now, in verse 2, we see that surrender produces dependence on God. It says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. And so David's saying that he's transitioned from self-sufficiency to God-dependence. He's he's moved on from being fed and nurtured by his self-sufficiency in other ways. He's moved on from that. So dependence upon God is empowered, David. So where it says, I have calmed myself, it means to make things level. So to, to level my mind, to calm my mind. I'm, I'm in a level state. He says, I've quieted myself. So to be still. To, to, to just be still. You'll see that throughout, throughout Scripture. Uh, you'll see places where God will say to people when they're upset or or they feel threatened and he'll say, look, all you have to do is just wait or be still. The people that have surrendered their lives to him, he can, they can sit back and say, oh, I don't have to do a bunch of activity. I don't have to go own this thing unless God asks you to. But I, I, I need to let your power work here. I can be dependent upon you. And so, so David has done that. So the weaned child no longer looks for comfort and nourishment, from his mother. He's moved on to feed and be nourished in another way. So Hebrew children would actually not be weaned a lot of times until three. So you can imagine the battle, right? Uh, I mean, a three-year-old, they talk about terrible twos. For me, as I look at three, three is like, man, they are starting to rule the roost. So a three-year-old, the fight that goes on, and David's saying like, look, I was meant to feed for a period of time. I was meant to be in these things for a period of time. And I was in this place, but I've moved on to other food. And my food is really dependence upon God. So for the weaned child, the fight is over. They've transitioned to other nourishment. They're not going back there anymore. So David is saying this. He's saying, I'm content with wherever God has me. Like, whatever surroundings God places me in, whatever he has me doing... I'm content with that. I'm good with that because I'm dependent upon him. So he's saying, I'm easy. You know, I'm, I'm easy. I, I'm not the one that brought this king stuff up. It was God that spoke to everyone else and spoke to me that I would be king is what he's saying. Like, I'm not striving after anything. I'm good. I'm just dependent upon him. So think about David, right? He, he was anointed as king as, as, a, as a teenager, But then it's a whole different thing to be anointed king, but then it's then to be the one that can be king. And so God spent 15 to 20 years developing him so that he could be the one that was anointed king. You don't always see that. You see sometimes where kings are are anointed king or or made king uh, at a very young age. So this surrendered life that David had with God was, it's like, hey, I'm going to make you king, but... I'm going to work in you and you're going to surrender to me. You're going to surrender your life to me. You're not going to be in this place because it didn't work out so well with the guy before. And so I want, I'm going to work in your heart so that you're the right person that can be king. So with that, there's this wrestling, like a weaned child, the the fight that's going on. Um, What if in our lives, like what if in your life, like a lot of the angst and a lot of the uh, even praying for things and a lot of like, God, would you give me this and, and can I have this and working through things. Like, what if a lot of that like isn't even for you? Like, what if the things we're asking for and striving after and going after, like we're just trying to grab stuff because it's like, yeah, I guess that's what I'm supposed to have in life. And, and then we sit there and be like, well, God doesn't listen to me. I will tell you this. I don't know. Sometimes there are certain things and then it comes and that. But I do know this. When you start praying in the vein of your calling and who you are and who God's made you to be, when you start praying in that vein and you figure out this is who I am and this is who God's called me to be and I'm surrendered to him in that, watch out. You see things happen. You see prayers answered. You see God open things. Why? Because you're walking in unison with him. And for David, it all started at that moment that he was called out and said, you're this, you're king. He's like, really? Me? You know, I mean, he's just, you know, just kind of dirty. And he's like, really? You know, what's going on? I just came in from the field and I'm king? I remember for me, when this happened to me, <clears throat> I had received Christ as a teenager, but then in my late teens, strayed off some, and God was chasing me. I was miserable. I was miserable because I was just doing my own thing, and I'd go to church some, and, and every time I'd go, like, God would speak to me through somebody, just like, you know, and, and then this one night, I just like, hey, Lord, I, I surrender, and, and God says to me, and I'm like, Lord, I just, I don't feel your spirit the way that I did before. I don't sense your presence. And that's the first time that God spoke to me. And he said, he said, um, he said, no, you're going to commit to me now. You're going to surrender now. And so he gave me so much leash. And then it was shortly after that, that I was sitting there with my brother and some other friends, just young guys in their twenties. And they're sitting there and they're like, hey, we feel like we're supposed to pray for you. And people had prayed for me all the time. And I didn't grow up in the church. And so it was all weird to me. It's like, I'm like, hey, I'm learning about Jesus. But why are we holding hands all the time? You know, like, why are we in these circles and doing these things? And, and so people had prayed for me and stuff. But it was just kind of like, oh, bless Cody. And, but this was different. And they laid hands on me. And they prayed over me. And, and it was just like they spoke into my life. God's going to do this with you. And he's showing this to you. And it was all about God has all these things for you. And you will start with obedience which he's going to give you little things to obey. And then, and then when you obey those little things, he's going to give you bigger and bigger things to obey. And in that process, you'll know his voice. Obviously, he's a 21-year-old. I remember it, right? Now much later. I remember when it happened. And then there's been huge moments along the way where, where people have spoken in and said, you're this, this is what God's doing. And so for you, you may be sitting here and say like, hey, I've received Jesus, but like this whole surrendering thing, that may be part of the problem. Like when we, when we aren't in a pandemic, right? We call people forward like to prayer and, hey, if you need prayer and these things. That's one of the big things that happens, quite honestly, in the, in the church, in small groups or, or at churches is, is the opportunity for people to, to speak into your life like what God's doing. His calling, your identity in him, helping you surrender to that. that that's one of the biggest things. And you say, well, why wouldn't God do it separately? He does some But he primarily does it through the the body, the church, calling it out and seeing it in you. That's why like pastors, like you ordain pastors. Pastors can't ordain themselves. I think that God ordains pastors like in their heart, like God ordains. But then a body of people have to recognize it, right? Like there can be some dude out in the desert somewhere like preaching to sheep and, and goats and whatever. But he's not really a pastor until a body of people recognize it and say, yeah, that's you. And so the, the, the church is always the one that unlocks that in people's lives. And that's why gathering is so important, whether online or, or, or here in person. Because um, power comes in our lives when we start waiting for and asking for the things that God really made us for. Uh, my boys, they're, they're age 13 to 17 now, uh, just this year. And uh, e- when each one turned 13, we, you know, that's somewhat kind of the the entry door to manhood. And so what we've done for each boy is that we've asked um, adults in their lives to uh, write a one-page letter to them on a characteristic of that's important for a person to have. And so we, we have these booklets, and I put them in a booklet in, in Michelle, uh, their mom, and, and I each wrote a letter too. And so we've lived different places for each boy. So it's interesting. We have letters from San Luis Obispo, California people. We have letters from, from San Diego. And, and we have letters from people in Kansas City. And so it's kind of cool when you think about it. I don't know that they see it that way, uh, you know, that they've moved. But, but they have all these people speaking into their life. And, and they get it somewhat now. But as they read that throughout their life, they're going to see like, whoa, I've transitioned here. I've transitioned to something much bigger, which is that a transition has to happen. And that's what David is saying, like, hey, I've moved on from being weaned. And quite honestly, you guys, there's plenty of people in the church that are still, uh, you know, getting nourishment, milk, when God's like, hey, you're still a baby, but I've made you a father. You know, you're still a baby, but, I, but I've called you to be a leader. You're still a baby, but you're, you're still messing around with these things. And I've called you to be this. You know, because that, that, has to, that also has to do with, too, like that, that self-sufficient life has to do with like sin and other things and playing around in those things. And so it's just like, yeah, I'm going to receive Jesus, but I'm not going to surrender to him. And so there's plenty of people that are kind of wallowing around. And what's interesting is that God doesn't change his purpose. It's like me. For the first five years of following Jesus, as a teenager, never going to church before in my life, I kind of just floated around. It's like I didn't really totally get it, you know. And, um, and then one day I got it. It was a little bit before that moment when my friends prayed for me and stuff. I was at a church in Hemet, California, and the pastor was preaching on something that I don't remember but I started reading something else because I, I, I couldn't really focus. And I started reading through Colossians. And it just talked about how Jesus, Jesus made a public spectacle over every power and principality. You know, and, and he, he took the law against us and nailed it to the cross. And he, and, and he did it by his blood. And he, he, he moved us from the, for the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And I, I saw this picture. and I got it. And I went into the bathroom at this, at this church. And I was just on my knees just weeping. I'm like, I get it. I get it. You want all of me. Because you paid all of you for, for that. And so surrender has to come. Where I'm going to move past just the, the milk nourishment. I'm going to move towards more of this so that I can become who I'm made to be. You, sometimes we look at people like David and we're like, yeah, that has to do with pastors and kings and leaders and stuff. And God's like, No. This has to do with everybody. I have something special for each of you. And only you can fulfill that. Well, lastly, um, we see that surrender produces a path to follow. In verse 3, it says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. So hope is like this expectation to expect, uh, to wait on things. So it's saying to put it in the Lord. So all that we hope for, all that we need, we put into the Lord. And really the picture here is I'm going to camp out in the Lord. If you've ever gone uh, backpacking, there's a couple ways to do it. And and I've done both. You you can go backpack and you're moving every day, right? You're like, I'm going to do a certain number of miles. I'm going to get to this place. And every day you're camping, you're getting there. And then sometimes you go backpack. And um, we've done this through Yosemite a bunch is that you'll go to a certain place. And then, wow, within like... An hour here, we can go to Half Dome and and we can go over to, you know, hike up on Clouds Rest over here. And this over here, we can go to these falls and place. And then you've got your camp. And that's what he's saying is like, camp out in the Lord and put all your hope in him. And he says, now and forevermore. So he's saying, like, start now and then just continue it throughout your life. But it's kind of disingenuous if he hasn't done this himself. Like, I can't say this unless I'm one that has put my hope in the Lord and lived it. In other words, David can't really say that. He's, he's saying to Israel, he's saying like, like hey, you put your hope in, your, in the Lord too, as I am. Don't make it happen on your own. Trust in the Lord. Start now and continue. All right. So Psalm 131. So what do we do with this? Like, like how do we take this home so that it's just not like, well, that was nice. What, what do we do? Well, here's a couple of things. Move from conceptual surrender to tangible surrender. Right? Because conceptual surrender is, I get it. I'm surrendering my life. And here's what you know. In some ways, it's always going to be conceptual because you just don't all of a sudden arrive like, yep, I'm surrendered, okay? The Lord is going to work more and more in your life as you, and you will surrender more and more of yourself to him. But tangible surrender is this, is that your faith in Jesus should cost you. In other words, if your faith in Jesus is always just about like building you up, building you up, building you up, and it's like getting what you want, getting what you want, then you, you may know him and yeah, he's working on it, but, but the surrender piece isn't happening, which means you're not cooperating with what he wants to do. And so, so a tangible surrender, and I don't need to lay it out for you. I don't need to tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. Like, he's speaking to you about specific things that he wants you to surrender. Sometimes he tells you, he, sometimes he tells you to, um, you know, to, to maybe be in a position where you look bad. In other words, well, if I do that, I'm going to look silly. nor is like yeah, what's the problem? Sometimes he tells you to give something. It could be money. It could be, it could be something that you have or you own. Or it could be that you could get something, but you let somebody else get it instead. Or, or it could be that you um, serve somebody else instead of rule over somebody else. Or, or maybe it, it, any of those things, right? But it's surrender. It's tangible surrender so that it, it, it hurts. Tangible surrender. Tangible surrender. Because God can build a great life upon that. But if it's just all ethereal and it's up here. Then he's just waiting. And when we surrender to him. And don't just go after ourselves. What we do is we open up space for him. To do what he wants to do. And that's the next thing is intentionally depend upon the Lord situationally. So intentionally depend upon him. So. What that means is, is that, like, we have everything at our fingertips. Um, you know, like, in some ways, like, we, we Google th- things. It's like, well, all knowledge is on Google. So what we do with things, well, what about this? And we research this, and it's like, well, pray about it. Yeah, I could look that up right now, but, you know, what if I go ask somebody? Or, or what if I ask God about that? So intentionally, situationally, depend upon him. Um, sometimes it's, uh, a di- and this is a discipline. This is something where it's like you walk it out and you, and you learn dependence upon God. And so, uh, like everybody loves the theory of being dependent upon God until you have to. And then it's kind of like, oh, this isn't, wow, this is kind of hard. And so it's almost like this fasting of 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 things, so like yes, I could go uh, buy that thing that I want, but I'm going to wait and ask God for it, and ask Him too. Like, do I really need that? Or you know, I could go fix that thing, but I'm going to be dependent upon the Lord to really work that out. And and some people would say, oh gosh, you're being so over spiritual, like hyper spiritual, Cody. Well, no, here's the thing. That's not really a problem because actually the norm is not depending. The norm is like feeding ourselves and and caring for ourselves and going after for ourselves so often that we don't. So I'm not really concerned about, like, being hyper-spiritual. Let's be concerned about that if we go too far that way, right? And so be intentional about depending upon the Lord situationally. And so here's the way this works. If you ask to do these things, he'll bring it about. So ask him this week, you know, Lord, what do you want me to surrender? He'll answer. He'll show you something. And how do you know if it's the Lord? Well, do it and find out. You know, and, and then and then find a situation. Lord, give me a situation to depend upon you and sin upon myself or depending upon another person. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.